You know, we, we, we've been in First uh, John, and we're going to stay in First John, but we're going to come from a, a different viewpoint, but it's going to be a scripture that we read already. So let's turn to First John chapter 5. And, you know, it's interesting because I had to go to the car dealership, two different dealerships on Monday. And uh, the first one, probably there for maybe about an hour or so. Second one, I was probably there for probably almost four hours. <laughs> yeah. But God bless you. But you know what? It wasn't by coincidence or accident. God bless you. <laughs> and, you know, even in the midst of that, the Lord was impressing upon me. Because, like I told y'all, you know, I don't have y'all do anything that I don't do. So I was reading First John. And, you know, he stopped me at First uh, John 5. And that, that's where we're going to come from. We'll, well, we'll start at. We're not going to get through all this today. And next week will be a little hiatus because I'm not going to speak long and it'll be probably more like a different subject and we'll come back to this but confirmation came because you know some of y'all know you know on Tuesdays and Thursdays at five in the morning we get on a, a conference call with our pastor in Connecticut and he basically preached the same message online <laughs> and different different scriptures but then you know there's a time for comments questions and a young lady came through well, I don't know if she's young. I never met her. But Sister in the Lord came through uh, the comment and said that, because uh, I guess the pastor had asked her to minister. I don't know if it's tomorrow or when, but it'll be her first time ministering. And she said, Pastor, you are all up in my message. And uh, and I was thinking the same thing, what she was saying. But, you know, it, Holy Spirit is good. Right. So even though the fact that they're up in Connecticut, I'm here in Virginia, the Holy Spirit speaking the same message. Right. So first uh, John five. And uh, we're going to start at the uh, first verse uh, in a minute. <laughs> so, you know, John, we gave a little bit of background and what's taking place here, I believe, last week. But, you know, we know John as the, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we can see John as a person of love right and the thing about John is John wasn't always that way because we read how John wanted with his brother James wanted to destroy the Samaritans for not welcoming Jesus when Jesus wanted to keep going right and but the thing with John is John became a different person because as he grew closer to the Lord that love that the Lord had started to come in John and started to come out of John. But see, John was also a straight shooter. <laughs> see, John, he, he was a man of love, an apostle of love, but he was also a straight shooter because, you know, he called people liars. <laughs> he called them liars. He called them antichrists, you know, and he didn't play. And the reason why, y'all have heard me talk before, and I, I never put two and two together where we tell people the truth because we love them. And that's what John was doing. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't realize that, you know, until really probably this week. I was like, you know what? He's just being a straight shooter because he's telling the truth. Right? And that's how we have to be. Right? And it wasn't that he was trying to offend, but he was making it known, basically showing evidence that, look, there's no gray area. You're either on this side or you're on that side. And what we tend to do in the church today, we make the gray areas. We make the gray areas because we don't want to tell the truth sometimes. All right. So let, let's look at the first verse. Uh, we'll read through five. 
1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Let's look at verse 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Everybody points to themselves says, my faith. My faith. Verse 5. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Amen. So, you know, the thing about what John's telling us here is that we overcome not because of anything that we do, but because of who we are in Christ. Amen. And so, uh, you know, when I re was reflecting on this, being at the car dealership on Monday and throughout the week is, you know, we're to overcome the world. Why do we see so many Christians struggling down, going in and out of the church? One week they want to be in a church, next two weeks they don't. That's not being an overcomer, right? So he's saying, look, if we're born again, we have assurance. We have assurance that we have overcome the world. Why? Because Jesus has already overcome the world. And all we have to do is walk in Christ Jesus. So what does the world represent? The world represents all that is opposed to keeping the commandments of God or draws us off from God in the world, including our flesh. Now, we talked about last week that the word overcomer overcomes means to conquer, right? It is the Greek word nikeo where the word Nike comes from. That's where they, that's where they got it from. Talking about victory, and they, they base theirs off of uh, a Greek myth, mythological god, goddess, right? But we base ours off the scriptures and the true God, right? So Nike does a lot of marketing, right? So they are actually probably the most powerful sneaker company out there. And they'll advertise marketing one-on-one, says, hey, it basically, if you wear these, you could be like this athlete, this person. Right. And we know that that's not true, but it appeals to our younger generation and they'll spend hundreds of dollars. I don't know why, but they spend hundreds of dollars on these shoes. And the thing about they spend hundreds of dollars and won't even wear. Them. So that's another mind boggling thing. But we have to be careful. So when I talk about overcomers, we don't want to get in the habit of the school of thought that takes place today. So what's the school of thought today? Meaning that we can have 100 percent victory, 100 percent health healing, wealth, and all these things all at one time. And guess what? If you operate, operate in these things, that no, we can operate in those things because we are glorified with Christ. But our glorification with Christ is future, not now. And see, and they'll also put it on us to where they'll say, well, you know, you could be like Jesus because Jesus did this so we can do that. Right? And so you think about it. Now think back to when Remember when they were going to take, they took Jesus and they were going to throw him off a cliff? And, you know, some, some teachers today say, you know, we don't need to be afraid. We don't have to worry because, you know what? 
If Jesus got through, we can get through. So next time you hear a minister do that, get about 10 other people, pick them up, carry them off to the end of the cliff, and let me know if they're not afraid. Because I can promise you they will be afraid. <laughs> All right, so, you know, we got to be careful with certain doctrines that could take us down a path that the Lord never tended for us to go. See, us being overcomers doesn't mean that, hey, we're going to have all sorts of success in this life. I talked about it before. We don't live for this life. Right? So what are some of the symbols or, or, or signs in reference to false teachers? One, it points back to themselves. Right? Another thing is, well, again, false teaching always points to the person, meaning themselves. It magnifies and glorifies men in this world system. That, hey, we can have the mansion, we can have the fancy cars and all these other things. And it also points to how can we have 100% victory now. See, what they don't talk about is the apostles. Right? Because we know 10 out of 11 apostles were what? Murdered. Yeah. Yeah. So they were killed. Right? The only one who wasn't was John. But guess what? John, tradition has it that John was burned in boiling oil. So they didn't have a life of luxury because that's not what Jesus, that's not what, well, that's not what John was talking about. And when he talks about overcome, he, he actually got it from Jesus and we'll get to that eventually. But what did Jesus overcome? He, he overcame sin. He overcame death and he overcame this world. Well, he overcame sin because he led a holy lifestyle when he walked in the flesh. He overcame, he overcame death. Why? Because his death and his resurrection. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? Right? And he overcame the world because he says in this world we shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer because he has overcome this world. And what? We should have peace in this world. That's what being an overcomer is. Overcomer means being a conqueror. Right, so we're, we're we're conquering, we're overcoming these things because Christ has already given us victory over these things. So we're not bound. We shouldn't be bound to where we're practicing these things, these sins, and, and and we shouldn't be fearful of death. But yet we have Christians that are fearful of dying. And the 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 the, the sad part is, and I was even thinking about this on the way here, we have unsaved people who are not afraid to die. But yet we have Christians who we know where we're going, afraid of death. Because we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. So what are we afraid of? That Greek word, nikeo, it means also this, and it actually means this in the Greek, of Christ victorious over all his foes. That goes back to sin, death, Fear, right? Fear, that's an enemy, right? And some, you know, I have this Bible app, and I talked about it before, but it's the U version Bible app, and it comes out with a verse of the day. And usually at the end of the year, it gives you the most popularized verse for, for the app, meaning the most highlighted, the most shared, the most. Um, Bookmark verse, and it is Isaiah forty one ten, and I'm gonna read it. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, 
I will help you. I will uphold you in my righteous hand. Isaiah 41 and 10. Now, you know what that tells me? With that being the most highlighted, a lot of Christians dealt with fear. A lot of Christians dealt with fear. And, you know, we got to be careful to say that, you know, we're never afraid. We're never to be in anxiety and things like that because that is a feeling. We may experience those things, right? But what happens is we don't allow those things to dictate to us our relationship with the Lord. Amen. See, part of being overcoming, see, what we do, we tend to get half of the definition of faith. Faith in the New Testament is the Greek word pistis, right? It means to believe. But we tend to have want to have faith and talk faith about having faith for things, having faith for healing and things like that. But you know what another definition of, of the word pistis is? It means to trust. And who do we trust? We trust the Lord. So regardless of what we go through in this life, we trust the Lord. See, that is what's being overcome. What prevents people, Christians, from being overcome is they stop. God tells them to do something. They're afraid. That's okay. That's a natural reaction. But then they stop. Or they may not serve the Lord anymore. But he's saying, look, just trust me. Just trust me along the way. But what we do is we stop. And then we come to church and we put on a mask. Oh, I'm not afraid. I know this is going on. I'm dealing with this and this. Jesus calls it, I'm not going to say us. Jesus calls it, the word, he uses the word hypocrite. See, the word hypocrite in the Old Testament, in the, in the Hebrew, actually means someone that is profane, godless. In the New Testament, it means an actor, a pretender, a deceiver. A stage, um, stage actor, right? You ever seen them old centurion films? And then you see them around the theater, and then you see that man, he has the mask on, and he starts talking in a high pitched voice and pretends to be Caesar or one of the senates or even the centurion, <laughs> right? That's what, that's what that means, hypocrite. That means we got Christians coming in with masks on, pretending to be something. Instead of saying, look, I need prayer. Not, not, I need prayer for somebody else. I need prayer for myself. No, I don't need no prayer. And then we go outside. Yeah, I'm going through this. I'm going through that. No. And then we want God to come in and rescue us. He can't. No. Because you know what? That's a part of that trust. That is a part of that faith. You know who somebody that was in uh, operating in fear? The Apostle Paul. Yeah, I see that look. Apostle Paul. Let's turn to Acts. Uh, let's see where I want to go because I don't even think I put it down. Hold on. Acts 18. Acts 18. Acts chapter 18, we'll start at verse 9. But before we go there, so this is when um, Paul got to Corinth, right? So when he gets to 
Corinth, he meets Priscilla and Aquila, right? And he's he at this point he gets put out of synagogue and he's saying, All right, fine, I'm taking the ministry, I'm taking this word to the Gentiles now. Well, see, what we have to understand is this the Gentiles were some profane people, right? So the Jews. They may have had some non-believers, but they weren't quite like the Gentiles. The Gentiles were a whole different animal. Right? So now Paul is seeing how the, he, he's seeing and witnesses the Gentiles and how they behave. So let's look at verse 9. We'll read through 11. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. Why would he have to tell him not to be afraid if he wasn't afraid? The Lord wouldn't have to say that to him in a vision. Verse 10. For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So Paul's solution to not fearing was to continue to do what God was telling him to do. Even though the Lord, the Lord told him his circumstances didn't change. He could still see what was going on, what he saw before. But the Lord told him, do not be afraid. So Paul had to trust the Lord. Okay, so let's go for some more confirmation. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's hear it directly from the Apostle Paul. Alright, we there? Alright, first Corinthians two, begin at the ver first verse. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Verse three. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So he has, he says he was in weakness, fear, and trembling. So if you remember in 2 Corinthians, because we talked about it before, 2 Corinthians, you had these other ministers that were downplaying Paul. Right? Why? Because one of the, weak, the, the, one of the things in weaknesses, his definition means he was sickly. He was dealing with something. That's what that means. What does he say here? He says fear. That word fear in the Greek is where we get the word phobia from. So it means alarm or fright. So trembling. Trembling means in the Greek one who has anxiety because they distrust their own ability. So Paul didn't come thinking that he could come out of his own ability. But he had to trust in the Holy Spirit. Because Paul didn't put confidence in his flesh, Amen. in himself. See, sometimes we're like, all right, God, I know you're calling me to this, but I got to get prepared. I got to do this. No, we got to trust the Holy Spirit. Amen. But what we want to do is we want to get prepared <laughs> and we want to get all this knowledge and things like that. And the Lord is saying, trust me. Amen. I got you. Do not be afraid. That's right. That is a part of being an overcomer. That is a part of being a conqueror in this life. Regardless of what we face. And see, we don't want to face tribulation. 
We don't. That's one of the reasons why, even in the churches today, where one one of the reasons why um you you have Christians say, well, this is why the pre-tribulation rapture because God would never allow His people to go through what's going to take place. Yeah, that's going to be a tough time, the second half of the tribulation. But tell that to the early church who were burned. Thrown in there with wild animals. Tortured. Oh, God allowed them to go through that, but we're not... I mean, go back all the way to Daniel being placed in the lion's den. The three Hebrew boys. But God is not going to allow us to go through anything like that because he loves us. Being an overcomer is about trusting him regardless of what we go through. Amen. Regardless of what we face. See, we're going we're gonna to have obstacles before us, but that's okay. We're still going to trust God. Right? We may not have the fancy house in this life. But guess what? Mother, he got one for us. <laughs> right? And guess what? We won't need a car, so who cares about a fancy car? <laughs> right? We won't need a car. <laughs> Matter of fact, we'll be able to get places faster. <laughs> so a car, airplane, nothing. We can't take any of this stuff with us. We can't take any of this stuff. So why are we trying to strive for this stuff so much? Instead of striving to be pleasing and obeying the Lord and what he's called us to do. That is being an overcomer. Trusting him. Amen. Amen. Alright, so going back to 1 John. So that word overcomes there again, conqueror. So this is what it means of Christians. That hold fast their faith even unto death. Against the power of their foes and temptations and persecutions. That's being an overcomer. Right? The sin is not the temptation. Right? But we overcome when we don't give in to the temptation. See, the world conquers us when it keeps us from seeing, loving, holding communion with, and serving God. So when we allow these things, fear of death, sin, and all these things keep us from communion, that's the world conquering us. Now we're not living and operating and being a conqueror, being an overcomer. Yet we conquer the world when we get closer to him and do his will more gladly and constantly regardless of what we go through. So even in the midst of our trials and tribulations, it should draw us closer to him. Why? Because we're trusting him. Right? We're not going to do what the world says. Oh, that's it. I give up. I, I can't take it no more. But we're going to trust God along the way. And see, what I appreciate about John, again, like I said, he was a straight shooter. See, he tells them, he says, look, if they leave, that's right. Kick them. No, don't kick him out. He, that's not what he says. He says they were never a part of us. First John chapter 2. Turn there. First 
First John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is what? Not in him. Again, he's making it black and white. Why do we have preachers today, Christians, that's trying to get us to get all this material wealth? That's the love of the world. And what does he say? The love of the Father is not in him, but yet we got Christians gravitating to them, listening to them. Some of us may still be listening to them. That's why we go by the word. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. I remember during COVID, turn the TV on, it was on TBN. And I don't watch that, y'all know. And that's not to say all shows on TBN is bad. But it was on, and I it had a live with, with some ministers on there and they started talking about, oh yeah, I had a dream and we were exchanging gold and doing this. It was all material wealth talking about it and it's life. Right? But again, the love of the Father is not in them. And I have no doubt people, because the, the ones that were on, on, on the set, they were all like, amen, amen, amen. That's again, not knowing the scriptures. Right? That is the love of the world. That is the lust of the world. That ought not to be in us. Because we got to remember, Jesus was humble. Jesus didn't come seeking after those things. Verse 17, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour, meaning it is the end of the age. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, we know that he's coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Let's read verse 19. They, were, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest. In other words, obvious evidence that they were never part of us. What do we do today? Let's go chase them down. John's making it plain and simple, black and white. If they were of us, they will stay with us. Not that they don't, not, I'm not talking about somebody going to another church. I'm talking about staying in the body. Yeah. Alright, so let's look at verse 18. It talks about the Antichrist. So, a lot of, you know, these Christian movies sometimes do a poor service to the scriptures. Because we're thinking the Antichrist is going to be somebody that's going to come. It's going to be evil and things like that. No. He's going to look good. He's going to show a lot of charm, charisma, and people are going to gravitate to him. See, we think when we hear Antichrist, we think of the word anti, we thinking opposite. No, 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 no. That's not just what it means. Anti means instead of. Meaning, we're going to have people that's going to choose the Antichrist, his way of doing things, instead of the way of Christ. That's right. And guess what? It's in the churches today. And we don't even realize it. Well, how do we know? Because 
we're glorifying things instead of glorifying Christ. It's in music today. You ever listen to a song where they just start talking about mentioning Satan and the devil? But there's no mention of Jesus. But yet it's a praise and worship song. Then we'll be in churches. The devil's under my feet. The devil's under we're focusing on him instead of Jesus. That's the Antichrist. See, he's not going to have to force people to serve because people are going to do it naturally. They're going to choose the things, the works. We got people seeking after the signs and wonders instead of Jesus. Amen. That's not what Jesus was about. That's not what the apostles were about. Yes, God worked through them. But where, everywhere Paul went, he did what? He taught. First thing he did, he went into the synagogue. And see, even if the, Paul went through all these things, shipwrecked, bitten, stoned, but he still trusted God. Going back to Abraham, he didn't know where he was going, but he what? He trusted God. That's what being an overcomer is. Trusting him. We may not see it in this life. But we trust him. And we focus on him. We don't focus on the things of the world instead of Jesus. Because that is the Antichrist spirit. And it's being manifested in Christians daily. And it's why? It's because it's out of ignorance. Some people are not doing it purposely. But they're thinking that's the norm. That's how it should be. So John saying, they went out from us. This shows that many of these antichrists at one time identified as believers. As believers. So John saying, again, they were never a part of us. So we say, well, you know, we're here. And I'm sure we've seen in the churches. Well, you know what? And it's not to say we can't pray for them. But they didn't stand. They didn't stay in faith. They didn't trust God through it all. Because, see, it's not easy to stand in faith in this world system. See, the world will want us to just stop serving him and do what the world does and compromise. Mm -hmm. But a part of us being overcomers is staying trustworthy through it all. Amen. Right? So now we'll say, well, wait a minute, Rasan. What about um, Jesus talking about, about the parable and the lost sheep? All right, well, let's go there. Luke 15. And I'll close out with this. Beginning at verse 1. Luke chapter 15. All right, we there? Right, Luke chapter 15 beginning at verse 1 then all the tax collectors and, and the sinners drew near to him to hear him let's stop right there so that verse says they all drew to him who the tax collectors and the sinners right what we don't really when I go there you can look at it on your own uh, chapter 14 and verse 25 remember how I talked about before whenever Jesus had a large gathering what did he do he gave a hard saying 
We notice in John chapter 6, at the end of John chapter 6, he gave a hard saying, and guess what happened? The people left. Right? Well, he, matter of fact, we can flip over. We'll flip over. <laughs> uh, Luke 14. 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now that's not an easy thing to hear in the natural, is it? And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Bear the cross. See, they understood what that meant. See, they understood what the crucifixion was back then. And let, let me tell you, the Romans didn't create it. Okay? But they mastered it. So they were, they could crucify hundreds of people, thousands of people, all at the same time. They would have all these crosses, all these people on these crosses along the building. So they understood what that meant. That basically, you had to die to yourself. You had to go through some stuff. You had to deny yourself. Why? To show that you are a disciple. Jump down to 33. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now let's face it. Now let's go back to 15. We hear that in the natural. Some people be like, all right, I'm good. Because you're not going to tell me I can't love my mother, father, my children. They're going to they gonna hear one thing. Right? But he's not saying for you to hate them. But you got to love me that much. All right? So, again, he says that. But what does it say in verse 1? Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. So, guess what? They were sitting there listening to him. They didn't want to draw like the disciples did in John chapter 6. They were drawn to him. Let's keep going. Verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Well, why did they complain? Because back then, you were either righteous or you were a sinner. And if you were considered righteous, they didn't even share the law with you. If you were a tax collector, they weren't sharing it with you. If you were a sinner, they weren't sharing it with you. So guess what? They thought they were righteous. They didn't need to sit at the feet of Jesus. Verse 3. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? So now, we hear this taught, and I wouldn't argue it, however it's taught, but think about this for a moment. Would it make sense for a shepherd to leave 99 sheep unprotected to go out looking for one? Shepherds don't do that. They will, leave, they will send somebody to go look for the sheep, another shepherd, or they will go themselves and leave another shepherd to protect the sheep. Think about um, Saul. His father sent him. That's how he came across Samuel. His father sent him to go look for the sheep. All right, let's keep going. Verse 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Let's stop right there before we go on. Jesus came to do what? To save the lost sheep of Israel. Were not the Pharisees part of Israel? Yeah. 
Wasn't other people besides the sinners and tax collectors a part of Israel? They were the lost sheep, right? That's why Jesus came. Guess what? We're lost sheep. But once again, the religious leaders, they didn't think they, they were sinners. Look at verse 7. I say to you that likewise. See, we look at this sometimes. I'm sorry. <laughs> we look at this sometimes, and we're like, we may group ourselves as the born-again believers as the righteous. No, 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 no. This is actually slapping the face to the Pharisees. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Please tell me a born-again believer that needs no repentance. We all need repentance. But the Pharisees thought they didn't need repentance. They thought they were better. See, so we have, we talk about the lost sheep, but they were actually listening to Jesus. Right? They were learning. They were not full followers yet, but they were come. Zacchaeus. Right? We, we, we read that in, uh, on Wednesday on Bible study. We read that. Zacchaeus. The religious leaders saw Zacchaeus one way, but Jesus saw him another way. And we read how Zacchaeus, by the time Jesus saw Zacchaeus was born again. His heart changed. He submitted himself to Jesus. He was at his feet. And now compare that to what John was saying, where they left, they went out from among us. They were never a part of us. But now you have the sinners who are sitting at Jesus. They're not leaving, even though he gave them all the same. No, we want to hear what you have to say. But then John says, all right, they were a part of us, but they left us. So guess what? They're antichrist. They're not being trustworthy. They're not being overcomers. They're not being conquerors. Right? Being a conqueror is, again, we're going to count the costs. That's what being an overcomer is, counting the costs and still being trustworthy through it all. Amen? Amen. All right, I'll stop right there. Amen. Amen. Amen.